The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Welcome back to another episode of Trading Secrets. Today, we are discussing the money for cast behind reality TV before, during, and after the show. Now we are moving to the two-time Survivor star, Amazing Race star. And I know I've done my research. People are pulling for the trifecta. They want to see you on Big Brother. We have Corinne Kaplan here. Corinne, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, well, thank you for having me. And yeah, I would love to do the trifecta, but no one has done that. So I highly doubt I'll be the first. Why not be the first? Why can't you be the first? I think, you know, I'm actually reading your bio here and from the CBS before season, I, this is how they described you. I think you'd be the perfect first. Pharmaceutical sales, Corinne Kaplan takes great pride in being able to manipulate the people around her. As a pharmaceutical sales rep, this smart and sexy self-described bitch is in it purely for the money. I mean, is that an accurate statement by them? Yes, but that was uh, my first season. So that was when I was like 27 and I'm, you know, still 27 on dating apps, but not really 27 anymore. So I am now a medical executive. So I have even better manipulation tactics. Wow. But <laughs> but all the other describing words are, are right oh, now. Oh yeah, right? I'll stick. I stand by the bitch and I only was doing it for the money. That's true. And I mean, you know what? It sounds like a good idea because it's like in that case, it was a one in 18 shot for a million dollars. When you really break down how much money you lose by taking time off work, or in my case, quitting your job, sure. if you don't win that million, it's quite an expensive venture. Wow. I want to get into all that. Based on that description, I think for sure, you need, I'm right here right now. We're putting it out there. Get you to big brother, be trifecta. It sounds like you'd be the perfect fit. Uh, before we get into some more questions here, just so you know, I got my buddy. He's my wingman, David, lifelong friend. He's going to come in. He is, we already told you, he's the bad cop here. So he'll come in. He's the chirp guy. So be prepared for when he comes in because he comes in hard, but something tells me he'll be just fine. <laughs> All right. So I want to get into, you You get into reality TV. You already kind of alluded to it, that you quit your job. So first of all, why'd you quit your job? What was the decision process in that? And what were your expectations going in and coming out of Survivor? Yeah. So I'm sort of an interesting person in that I was a recruit. I had never seen the show. I didn't give a shit about the show. Basically, I tell this story often, but it's just interesting. If you're if you're listening and you're wondering how people get on reality TV, there are a lot of different avenues, but the way that I got on was a very strange one. In randomly in like 2007, I got a message on MySpace and I had just moved to LA and I was at, like, as you said, I was a pharmaceutical sales rep. Like I I was doing my normal job. I had no interest in going on reality TV at all. And I got this message that said like, Hey, we're in the final stages for casting a season of survivor. They weren't even like, they, they said the actual word survivor. We're interested in people with, within your age range, like your character traits, whatever, however they said it please call this number if you're interested. And by coincidence, my ex-boyfriend is Ethan Zahn and he was the second winner of Survivor ever, Survivor Africa. And so it was like a joke to me, like how funny would it be if I could just get on the stupid show that you think is such a big deal you were on? So (laughs) I call him and I'm like, yo, there's no way this is real, right? And this is before spam and like really the internet became what we know it to be today. Do you think they knew you were dating him? No, they didn't know I even knew him, nothing. Totally, completely random. We weren't dating anymore. We had broken up by that point, but like okay. we were still friends. And so yeah. I, he was living in New York. I was in LA and he goes, just call them and demand to speak with Lynn Spillman. She's the head of casting, which again would be like calling the, you know, the white house and asking to speak with the president. Like it doesn't happen, <laughs> right. but I was such an asshole about it that like, I got the number and I was like, anytime, you know, they, an intern would answer somebody else. They'd pass me off. I was like, put Lynn Spillman on the phone or we are done here. And so she got on the phone and she was like, um, okay, you got me on the phone. So 
why don't you tell me why you want to be on the show? I go, why would I do that? You sent the email. You got to convince me. Oh. <laughs> we need to see you immediately. <laughs> so that's how I ended up on the show. But you asked why I quit my job. Honestly, when I went through casting, I kept telling them, which is not what they want to hear, right? They want, you you're, You would do anything. You would give a kidney. Like you just sure. want to be on the show. Sure. And I was like, I can take it or leave it. You guys need me. I don't really need you. <laughs> and so when we got to the end, I kept saying like, if my work doesn't let me go, I'm not going. Cause I took, it took a long time. I used to work at a pharmaceutical company and I got transferred from New York to LA and okay. it, took a long, it took like a year to get that transfer. So I wasn't just going to trash my job, Sure. but I will tell you Lynn who no longer works in casting for CBS, but she is a Svengali. Like she was able to convince me. She's like, you're not the CEO. You'll get another job. And like, she just like snaked her way in and was like, it's a one in 18 shot. And you don't believe you could be the person that wins the million. And so in the end I did, I quit my job. And so when you quit your job, the, the basis of that decision was I'm making damn good money. I'm 27. I actually like my job, but you're like, I got about 7% chance of winning a million dollars. And to me, that's worth it. So it was strictly a financial decision for hundred percent. I had no, I, I never liked the show. I crash watched it because I had to learn <laughs> the rules of the show. Sure. I had no, I had a boyfriend. I wasn't looking for love. Like I was just in it for the money. So Vegas odds, I'm a big Vegas odds guy. Before you go on the show, you roll the dice. You're like, you know what? I got 7% chance. You just told me you never slept outside. You don't even know the show. So did you actually think going into the show, you got a shot at winning this money? Yes, yeah, stupidly. Now, the second time I went, I knew I had no prayer. No, but the okay. first time I was like, I, I always like, I'm very elitist. I think I'm smarter than everyone. Like I, I have like a, an attitude where I'm like, everyone in the world is dumber than me. Like everyone's two drinks behind and everyone's stupider. So I just figured like, I, I'll, I'll make this work. Like I, I can do this. Like I, I felt like I'm in sales. I, you know, I have to deal with a lot of personalities. I, you know, like it says in my bio, I'm manipulative. Like I really thought I was really equipped and I didn't ever for once think I couldn't starve or like live outside. Like I didn't think that was that big of a deal, but I come from, you know, Hollywood and like, we have, I like, we purposely starve all the time. Like it wasn't that, <laughs> like the stuff that's supposed to be really hard. Wasn't that hard to me. I so even the only other thing I did was train in severe water deprivation and even when I was even, ready to go. Wait, 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 you cannot pass that over. You trained in... Say that again. In severe water deprivation. And I still practice of? it to this day. What does that consist of? So you have to train your body to exist on very little, if not no water. And if you don't do that, then when you get out there, the first three days, all you have is one canteen of water. And most people go through that on like day one and then freak the hell out the rest of the time until you get flint, which then you have fire. Now you can boil and you can drink the water. So I did this thing where like, cause I knew Ethan and Ethan hooked me up with like coaches and things like he helped me. And he was like, you got to figure the water thing out. I was like, no problem. So I began limiting my water intake to like a shot of water a day. And then leading up to like the week before I stopped drinking water entirely. And I just figured I made my body got used to it. And so when we got out there, Day two, people were in the morning dragging their clothing over the savanna leaves to capture the dew, to wring it into their mouths, which is so disgusting. Yeah. And by day three, we're in the back of a blacked out van going into our challenge. And the van is very shaky, obviously. There's no infrastructure. And you could hear, I had three quarters of my water still left in my canteen. You could hear it bouncing around. And everyone was like, what the fuck? <laughs> so when we got to the challenge, I was like, pass it around. Everyone drink from it. And we won the challenge. And I was like a little bit of a hero for that moment. But yeah, and that was your, I still that was to your this leverage. day only drink about one bottle of water a week. And that was your leverage for manipulation. David, I had to get to that. What were you thinking? <laughs> well, I just can't get rid of the fact that she said that going into the second, her second go around, you said you knew going in, you had no chance. Yes. And that's after a year of being on the show. You're obviously very confident. You've done weather <laughs> deprivation. You're taking yeah. shots of water before you go to bed. And that's like, 
how after going through it, is that your mindset? You would think after all that, your mindset would be like, especially from what I'm gathering from you, I got this in the bag second time no. around. <laughs> it was a real, real reality check, if you will. On the first go round, I was like, oh, everyone hates me. I mean, not the people on the show, but like, I was like a super villain. So you can't go back on a show and then start from zero. Mm. You go back on the show with the reputation that follows you and you're not playing with the same people. So they just believe what they saw. So I knew going in, that was problematic. I was also five years later, not a year later. So five years went by and the show changed drastically. The format changed, this like twist changed, of which I kept up very little of. Um, And when I got out there, I realized my best hope is to go out there and make an impact and like have a personality and kind of like, I said, you know, they asked me back two other times and I said no to both of those before I said yes. And when I finally said yes, the reason was because when people would ask like, you know, in stupid icebreakers at work and stuff, they'd ask like, oh, like, you know, what's, what's the most craziest thing you've ever done? What's the most memorable? And the answer was always survivor. So like, if that's the case, then like, all right, I should do it again then probably. Right. And I also wanted to join like the hall of fame club. Right. Like I didn't want to be a one-time player. And so I went back, but I knew like, I thought I would sit at the end and just hand the million to some desperate fool that was at the end with me. Um, (laughs) That wasn't the case. No, I got blindsided. (laughs) Shit happens. All right. Before we get into the blindsided on season two, I got to talk more about season one. Do they offer you any type of stipend? Do you get paid at all to go on the show? Yeah. So that's a great question. And I think people are always surprised to learn that, yes, we do make money for as far as we make it. So what happens is they explain to you in very basic terms, not hard numbers, because actually the same pot of money exists no matter how many players there are. So there are seasons with 16 players where they all make more money. There's 18 like my first, and then there's 20 like my second. But there's always the same amount of money, and CBS never accounted for inflation. There's never any more money in that pot. (laughs) Um, So what you find is you you know you're going to make more the further you get. And then one thing that I think is very public knowledge is you get $10,000 to show up at the live reunion. And the reason that that ticket is so high is because most people, if they were wronged on the show or whatever, if there wasn't a big ticket attached to it, you might just be like, fuck it, I'm not going. Yeah, yeah. So they, they make that very high. So what happens is roughly the first person voted out makes like $2,500. Okay. It goes up very incrementally until you hit the jury. Then it starts going up by 10K each jury member. And so it works backwards. So million is first place. Second place is 100 grand. Pretty big drop off there. Third place is <laughs> 75. And then last year, 65, 55, 45. And then it goes down once you stop the jury those people only make like a few thousand and there's like a couple hundred dollars difference between them. And then everyone gets the 10 K. And then what's the full is the guy. I, I just not into survivor the way I should be, but what's the full time commitment? Sure. So the show itself is 39 days. You have to be gone for anywhere between like 45 and 47, because there's some, some pregame stuff that you have to do. There's a ton of medical checkouts, psych evaluations, wilderness training, you know, you have to get out there before. And then really after day 39, they fly you home the day after. Like there's no like, let's have a cast party or no, they don't <laughs> do anything. Film, they put you on a plane immediately. Get in film, get the hell out of here. We're done with you. So I'm curious about you asked me before the podcast started, you actually said to me, can I swear on this? I said, fuck yeah, you could swear on this. But I was at, I was just interviewing a CEO of an influencing company. So he does these huge brand deals and they have this AI system data, apparently that will track all the words that you say. So for myself on my Instagram, this information, before they do a deal, will know the words you say, if they're in your caption, if you set them on stories, and then they'll give you like a rating, like a PG, G, PG 13 R rating. And a lot of brands won't, even if like you have the following and the engagement, everything, they won't do from his words, not mine. They won't do deals with you because of the way that you are rated. So I'm curious for you, 
as you just said, fuck it, love it. Welcome to the show. Let's do this. You also <laughs> said that you were a super villain. So after the season, when you're trying to monetize opportunities, whatever it is, like showing, speakings, brand deals, did the super villain title actually impact monetization opportunities? Yeah. So that's a good question. So I want to point out that it's very, very, very different for people on Survivor and The Amazing Race. Not Big Brother. They get big numbers. But first and foremost, my first season, nothing existed, right? I just told you I got cast off MySpace. Facebook had just <laughs> been invented. How's that work? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Also, I'm 27, if anyone asks. Got it. Um, so, okay. So we did not have, right. So I lost out on all that. The first season, there was zero social media by the second season, there was social media, but because the demographic for survivor tends to be like, apparently like parents and young children, not millennials, the following is extraordinarily low. Like mm. it's extremely low for amazing race. Like you can't believe how low and it's pretty low for survivor. But once my first season was over, as I told you, I quit my job. And so I was like, what am I going to do? Like I was trying, I was trying to just get back in my field, but in the interim, I was like, what can I do with this? And it was, you know, also, which I think is probably happening with you guys too. It's a bit of a saturated market. There's too many people now that have done survivor, right? There's like four or 500 of us. And at that time, maybe there was less, but still there's a lot. And a lot of these people, you know, go to the the opening of an envelope. They'll fucking RSV for anything. So there's no, you can't value. They watered the pool down so much. But so what I did was I decided since I was a villain and I was really good at shit talking, I was going to go after something that was more in that lane. And so there was a show called Tough Enough that the WWE had on VH1. And so I started doing like negotiations with like them thinking I would maybe get into wrestling, which um, I could see that. It sounded like a good idea. They put me on a red carpet with the Miz and I had to like go toe to toe with him. And I I fucking slayed him. Like it was great. We got Miz coming on the podcast. I'm going to ask you. I don't know if you'd remember. You can tell him. I mean, we're going to find that clip and we're going to put him to the test. (laughs) I don't know if it exists, but I was on a a red carpet. I mean, it sure is somewhere. Anyways, when I talked to them, they were like, well, basically you're competing for like a contract where you live in Tampa. And like, I can't even do a cartwheel. Like, I was like, oh, I don't think this is going to be what I do. So I couldn't parlay it. Like I, you know, you guys do such a nice job. There's so many like bachelor and bachelorette contestants that have like really like made a substantial living, but you'll find that that's incredibly rare with survivors. Like there's Elizabeth Hasselbeck and that's it. It's actually kind of crazy how those shows work. And and then the ratings, you see the volume, but you don't see the social following, right? Yes. So you got Survivor. The one that I'm actually, I know you said Big Brother, but I'm blown away that Big Brother doesn't do better from a social perspective. The reason is you got, you got younger people, I would say like in the 20 to 40 range, they're on three times a week all summer for 90 days straight. And the followers don't come. Yeah. And even what's interesting, it's not even just CBS, NBC, like ABC, Dancing with the Stars. I thought Caitlin's following would have like doubled on Dancing with the Stars. And it didn't. And so what's fascinating though is with the whole Bachelor franchise, you have 10 episodes. It's only 10 Mondays. That's it. And most people don't make it that long. And they get these followings are crazy. It's fascinating to see which shows resonate in the social media platform and which don't. And I, I still haven't put my finger on it. When I did The Amazing Race, guess how many followers I gained? I'm going to take a stab in the dark. Let's say 5,000. I'm going to say like... More like 500. Yeah, I was going to say... 500? I was going to say 600. And you want to hear the worst part? I live in Denver where all you guys live. And so I went to to (laughs) Rebel Social, which is a bar that like two guys... Oh, yeah. Yeah, so I go there. My show is on air at that time, currently. I've already done two seasons of Survivor. And I cannot walk five feet without someone being like, I'm so sorry. Can you take a picture of me and so-and-so? And I'm like, I'm on TV. This person was on The Bachelor right six here. years ago. There was one chick that had like half a million followers that wasn't even on The Bachelor. She just dated a Bachelor. 
And people were asking for pictures with her. Unbelievable. Maddening. I can't I th- figure that out. I think, I think one, I think it's all to do with like letting people in to think that they're included in your love story. I think that that's like part of it. And I think some, I, I do. I think that that's part of it. I think people who find romances on their shows also trend a little better after it too. Cause people won't like feel like they're included on it. Yeah. Um, but it's an interesting supply and demand talk too. Like you said, like big brothers, 110 days, you're on three days a week. It's, it's more our age. You're seeing more of them. You would think that that would like parlay into more engagement after, but it's really interesting. It is fast. And then also you talk about all those shows and the prizes. And so obviously the bachelor doesn't really have a prize. The lead gets paid. You know, obviously the prizes are huge in that space, but you made such a good point about inflation. Why the hell is it still 20 years later that survivors a million dollars for the winner and big right. brother, like a half a million, like 500, you give away like all for why? I don't understand that. It's because they can't, because they can, because there's so many people that are just so willing to quit their job and just go on the show with the chance to be the next Jason Tardick or Green Kaplan. Hello. To, to, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> to that point, I would think they would actually decrease the amount. But Corinne, <laughs> when you finished, so either one of the shows, um, so obviously the first show you went back to work, you're still currently working, but how long after the show did it take for you to go back to work? Because I know you talked about exploring WWE yeah. and some other opportunities. How long? Oh, let me... Look, the best advice I got when I went on the show was from um, from Lynn. And she was like, do me a favor. The second you get home, go back to your normal life. Like, just go back to your normal life and then enjoy when the show airs. Don't try and make this a living. And I was like, I'm not going to be a career reality show person. That's stupid. I, I didn't think that was even, you know. And I see it all the time. They get like a little bit of fame. And then they, they quit their job and then they, they just try and go on this like tour of like, who will, who will pay me to show up somewhere? And I did not do that. The problem is that in the time when I needed to find a new job, there were very few jobs in the market for what I wanted to do. So it took me like probably like six or seven months to get another gig. But I mean, in that particular show, I made 45 grand, which you don't get, you don't get that check until the final reunion airs. So it's not like I had that money on the front end and that's taxed, obviously. Sure, sure. But when you do the math, because I had to be unemployed to get another job to find my other, you know, my next move for eight months, like, I made way more money if I had continued working than if I had done the show. And because there was no endorsements back then, it wasn't like I was getting any side money at all either. Right. So there's no other cash inflow. So all, and then you look at the opportunity cost of the time you spent away from a good career. I'm curious if you had to like estimate the total amount that you made between the three shows over a hundred grand. Yeah. If you include like the piddly endorsements that I get. Yeah. Probably right about that. Okay. And looking back on it, do you have any regrets going on the show or any way that you're perceived as a super villain? Has that impacted your career today? No. And I mean, think, thankfully, no. I, I mean, there's a difference between being, I would say like I'm a, a mean girl. I like, I'm a bit of a bully. <laughs> and I know that, that people hate bullies now, but like, whatever, I'm a reformed bully, bully I guess. Um, not so reformed. But you know, what I didn't do and what I would never do is like something racist, something homophobic, something, you know, that stuff is, is really, you can't come back from that. And it is alarming to me, like, you know, big brother, because they film you for so long, it's so many days and it just takes one, something to be misconstrued. And I'm not defending anyone's behavior. I don't even watch that show, but I, um, thankfully, you know, yes, I'm a villain. And yeah, I was mean to a couple of people on the show, but like, people can get past that. And like, that kind of just makes me cutthroat in my business life, I think. Um, but had I done something, God forbid, like that, you know, 
that I couldn't come back from, then I think that would have had a real negative impact. Yeah. And I see that so often now. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's uh, something that's obviously being exposed more and more. And I think accountability should be had in all those realms that you mentioned, mm-hmm. right? Anti-Semitic, racist, homophobic. Yeah. There's no room for it. There's no, no place for it. But you talk a little bit about bullying. So I want to ask you about that. Do you think your strategy of bullying is a tactic that's used similar to what you did to actually get on the show? Like call the intern, get off the phone, give me the person. So is it part of what you do from a leverage and like business outcome perspective? Or would you say that's like your natural blood to just beat people up and tear them up? No, I mean, so, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty thick skinned and I've been bullied myself. I've done bullying like both ways. And I don't know if that's a great word for it, but basically I think, there are different tactics that you're going to take on Survivor. Survivor's a really heavily mental show, right? Like that's why every season somebody goes AWOL, like, you know, that happens a lot. Um, Every season I've been on, there's been somebody that went nuts and either quit or had to be taken off the show. And so one of the things that I tried to look at, I read a lot of books on sort of psychology and stuff. And one of the things that really unites people is if everyone has a common enemy. And so, you know, if I'm bullying in this example, in the first season, there was the girl I did not like who, it wasn't even bullying. I just did not like her. Um, Mm -hmm. but it was really easy because she was not very likable to get other people to also not like her and gang up on her. Right. Which is considered like, that's the term for bullying. Right. Right. Yeah. So it is a strategy because you're uniting other people by singling out one person, but it was a successful strategy for me. I thought I'm also a big, like whether I'm watching survivor, big brother, any of these shows, I'm a huge proponent of the fact it's a game. Uh, And as long as you're, you're playing game and and you're not crossing certain boundaries that we just discussed, you're playing a game. It is what it is. And you know what? There's a lot of, which I absolutely hate. I just gave an interview to EW the other day where I was like, I hate the underdog storyline. Like I hate that. Like the person made it to the end because everyone felt sorry. And this person couldn't do anything. And so like, Oh, with that, like, I hate that. And survivors should be badass people that make it to the end people you want to be stranded with. And so, um, I just really don't respect that tactic at all. Like I'm a total lump. So you're going to take me to the end. Cause no one will vote for me because I didn't do shit this entire time. Like I hate that storyline because then that idiot ends up winning. But so you're in sales, right? You're working with people all the time and you have to find ways to use emotional intelligence and value add to successfully close a deal. Don't you find that if your underlying deal there is that people are just resonating with like a story like that, wouldn't you, it behoove you to actually, you're manipulative, be that person? I, I physically could not be that person. Like, <laughs> I just could not. Then again, this goes back to realizing by the second season, I was like, ain't nobody going to give me a million. I know that. First of all, I'm actually not like, yes, I can starve and I, I, I don't cry and I'm pretty tough. But like, I can't make a fire. I I never once did I open a coconut. I barely touched that machete. Like I was pretty useless. Honestly, my brother came for the family visit my first season. And he was like, you know, he doesn't know that much about survivor, but there was this thing called tree mail. And he's like, all right, like I'm here. Why don't you take me to tree mail? So I like walk a bunch into the forest and make a left and walk a little bit more. I make a right. And then we come back to the same area. And he goes, do you, it's day 33. Do you not know where your tree mail is? I was like, I always have someone else go with me. Like I, I purposely did nothing, but I was not an underdog. Like I wasn't crying. I wasn't like whiny. You know, your skill set, and you deployed it and you worked it. I'm curious yeah. of, of the survivor people that you do know that did win the million bucks. What are some of the success stories? Like have people parlayed that into big things or have you heard some terrible like lottery winning stories where it's completely yeah, fucked up their all, life? Yeah, they're almost all lottery winners. All, really? All, give me, all give me, give me an instance because that's stuff we don't hear about. Oh, I don't want to call anyone out, but like most No names of them, then. No names, just a scenario. <laughs> well, when they win, it ruins the trajectory of life that they were on. 
the smartest thing, like Lynn told me is just go back to what your life was. Right. Um, but even like, you know, I think Ethan is a good example that not that it it didn't ruin his life or anything, but like, Ethan's very smart. He was pre-med at Vassar. He should have gone on to medical school and become a doctor. Instead, he started a charity with soccer balls in Africa and like, just kept trying to get on more shows. And like, to me, for the greater society and knowing how bright he is, like he could have done like an amazing thing by going to medical school. And this completely changed his trajectory. And that happens a lot on much different scales. Like he's, that maybe doesn't sound so severe. There's other ones that like, I know somebody that, you know, was sober and a recovering addict. The second he won the million, ah, yeah, I mean, time to party. Like I that mean, happens more often than not. It's, it's a lot of money, but it it's also gets taxed and then you spend it on something. And then yes. that's something you usually need to pay to finance it, or it's a monthly payment or if it's a house or if it's a car and then, then you quit your job because you yeah. just want a million dollars. And then six months later, you're like, how am I going to sustain this? Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, so I see that. I will give this example because this is, he's a dear friend and he was very public about it. He was on Dr. Phil, but he, Todd, who won the million on China, he ended up having like severe alcoholism, like literally like had an intervention on Dr. Phil. Now he's wonderful. Actually, he's got an amazing business and he's great. But like, he went through that whole million and like, he would have been better off to have never won that, right? Like that wouldn't have, he wouldn't have ended up that way had he not won that money and had all that attention. I think that's part of it too, right? Like it's not, it's not only the people that win. There's a lot of people that make a hard right turn just from the attention, you know? Oh, for sure. I think professionally, personally, mentally, financially, I'm throwing this stat out. I have no basis for it, but off of what I've seen, probably 90%, maybe even more of people that go on reality TV often put themselves in a position that's worse than all those prior to being on the show. And what all these shows need to do, every single one, especially on this podcast, because we've had several people from different shows for this episode, is there needs to be some type of coaching or consulting. Like this is how you deal with the press. This is how you deal with social media. Mentally, here are therapists that can help you walk through this because it is an absolute shit show. And like you said, yes. people hit rock bottom. Did you ever have a time like that? Like you quit your job, you were the super villain, you get off the show, you're not making maybe money you thought you might be. WWE doesn't work out that you hit that rock bottom place? <laughs> no, because like, first of all, I have really good friends around me. Second of all, I was living in LA. Like right. my, my best friend was a publicist who was like walking me through like, media. Like I, I was not, I didn't get on the carpet without her like helping me, you know, and I had friends that were famous actresses. Like I, I was much luckier than most. And also I have, Mm -hmm. my family has money. So I had a safety net. Like, it's not like I was ever going to be on the streets, but most of these people do not, that is not the case with them. Like they really, that they, they can't, they can't seem to come back. They can't, they don't know how to go back to life before just mentally. It destroys them. It's there. Look, I don't want to make it super negative. There's, there's one chick that I'm obsessed with who won, Mm -hmm. who's so pretty. Kim Spradlin. She's my favorite winner. She won a season that everyone thinks universally is trash, but I love it because the pretty girl wins. (laughs) And, um, she like started a business and is super successful and like, she did the right thing with the money, you know? But I think that that's, it's whoever you were before the fame or the money that just gets amplified. So you know, if you were kind of a meandering piece of shit before, it's going to get a whole lot worse <laughs> after. Right? That is that is so true. That is so true. And I think that yeah. the fame thing becomes it's just so addictive. You get a taste of it, and then you want more and more until you're you're just you're lost. And so, but I that's a question I want to come back to you with. So you go on the first show because you want to win money. Second show, you don't think you're going to win, but fuck it, let's give it a shot. What made you go back onto Amazing Race? Like, what where, where was your head? Were you trying to win there? Yeah, was it a so, million bucks? Was it fame? What was it? No, it was definitely just the that for that it was the experience. So Survivor, I could get, I could care less. If I never camped again, I, I don't care. There's not, anyone who says it's fun is out of their minds. Like you'd have to be so sadistic. It's it's horrible out there. 
you're getting attacked by mosquitoes. You're with people you hate. There's no food. There's no water. I mean, it's fucking terrible, but amazing race. You travel the world. Like I'm a huge traveler. I, I thought that the memories you make on amazing race, I think are just, you, you could never mimic that scenario. Like, look, I could play survivor tomorrow in my backyard, you know, but I can't fly to Dubai and fly to Tokyo and get handed a clue and then get on a tuk tuk. And I mean, amazing race to me. I don't understand why that show isn't like the best, like of the CBS franchise. That's the one that suffered the worst. It got canceled and brought back. It has the lowest numbers. Um, and to me, it's the most interesting. And I did that purely for the experience and really for definitely not for the money. I didn't, I, I mean, my partner would tell you, she thought, you know, my partner was Eliza Orleans. She's running for Manhattan DA. She is a cutthroat bitch and we were a good team, but really Girl, girl teams have won like twice in the history of the amazing. It doesn't happen. Oh. You need a guy. You can't do girl, girl. And that prize is a million bucks too, right? Yeah, but you split it. Oh, okay. You split it. And then are there second, third prizes for Amazing Race or no? Yeah, there okay. are. I think it goes the same, 175. Got it. I'm, Interesting. I'm still surprised by the um, amount for the non-winners of Survivor, even though it's not pretty high uh, it's pretty high i mean the bachelor you go on as contestant you get zero dollars even if you win really? uh yeah yep. zero dollars uh we just had someone from big brother on and it's a thousand dollars a week so i mean they film a little longer but still at the end of that even if you make it to the end and you're on the not the jury but they're um it's just interesting because that's still and it's 30 39 days so I mean, we're not talking life-changing money, but it's still, it's worth your, your time. Yeah, but more. you have physical ailments. Like, it's pretty bad. Like, for the year after I came mm. back, you know, my hair was falling out. Like, Ooh. I lost 22 pounds my first season, wow. which when you lose weight really quickly, it can cause fatty liver. Like, we we always joke, like, I, I haven't taken a solid shit in 12 years. Like, it's <laughs> you just, like, live with, like, the side effects of it forever. So I think that the money is fair given like what you have to go through. Like I have scars all over my body from the insect bites. Like I have, I have had now multiple cancerous moles removed, which were a product of sun damage from being out there and not having adequate sunblock. Like they should pay more than they do. I was going to say net net. That's probably a deficit when you think about all that stuff. What about David? You made a good point about our big brother, uh, Elena Davies just came on. Oh, I love Elena. She visited me in Denver not too long ago. Oh, good ass. This reality TV world, I'll tell you what, it's small. But what we found out from her is that the first time she did Big Brother, there was a small portion. Oh, no, no, no. So she did two reality TV shows. It was a small portion the first time. The second time she knew she had a little like fame behind her and platform, she was able to negotiate substantially more. For Survivor, two go around two for you. And then Amazing Race, were you able to leverage what you had before to increase your rate? No, sure wasn't. In fact, when I told you, I said no. Um, they had asked me back for the first season that was an obvious cast was Heroes versus Villains, right? Yeah. So they want me for that. They want me bad. And I was like, cool, you need to guarantee me a certain amount of money for me to quit my job. Like, I just got another job. Like it was sure. literally four months after my new job started, they wanted to bring me back. And I was like, nah, dude, like I'm, a- I wasn't asking for a lot. I was asking for like a, a base guarantee to get me on the show so that if I lost this now, if I quit again, yeah. it would carry me over and they refused. And so they lost me uh-huh. and they had to answer that like quite often being that I was one of the few very like hardcore female villains. Like why is Karen? And it was right after my seat. They were like, why is she sure. not on this? And they, they're like, Oh, she couldn't quit her job. I'm like, Oh, I could quit my job. You just weren't going to pay me. And I was, I was asking for, I think I wanted like 80 grand. Like it wasn't like, an absurd number at sure, all. Like 30, 30 grand more than what you got the previous season. And you had a, like some following behind you and everything else. And I actually even tried to broker. I said, like, if I don't make the jury, I need to go home because I could keep my job in that case. Cause it would, you know, under two weeks, I could, I could just go back to work and they refused to even let me do that. So is I that what you're going to take impl- no money, but go back after 
if I don't make jury, they said no. That's crazy. So is that what your employer said? They said you have two weeks. If you go beyond two weeks, we're firing you. Well, in the case of the employer where I said no, I said to the employer, like, I need, you know, basically 45 days. Um, I have two weeks vacation. You know, I was just, I actually, Lynn went, got on the phone with my boss, was trying to broker this. And they said, um, you know, maybe if you go and you don't make it and you come back in two weeks, yeah, sure. We weren't going to backfill this job in two weeks. But if you plan on being gone any longer than that, sorry. Gotcha. Wow. Cutthroat world of real world hitting reality TV. It's freaking unbelievable. And you All know, right. Jason, ahead. I feel like some people, like it's their dream. Like they can't even fathom how someone says no. And it happens, I think, very infrequently. But I legitimately was like, unlike these other people, like what's the end game? So what if I go sure. and then I'm the first person voted out? Then what's like, you know, I, I didn't... No job. And then they're not increasing your pay at all. And then you got to get back on the job hustle. I mean, it's a, it's a grind. It's health insurance, it's like health all insurance that. that you're bit like we, we just talked to Elena too, right? Like reality still goes on your mortgage payments, your car payments, all these things while you're still filming the show are being done. And if pay doesn't meet those requirements, it could get ugly quick. And I think it's a side reality TV that a lot of people don't see. Are They yes. see the glitz, the glamour, the cool, wow, I just knew this person there in my math class in college, or they worked with me and then now they're here. But there is so much that goes on after the show, especially for financially. I know this isn't financial, but I bet you don't realize, or maybe you do, but on Survivor, especially the number one thing that gets ruined after Survivor, marriages and relationships, everybody gets divorced or broken up. It, they don't, I mean, it's, it's like a staggering percentage. Why do you think that is? I think the person becomes so fucking insufferable when they get that little piece of fame <laughs> that the other person can't stand it anymore. That's what happened to me. <laughs> I mean, I think that's a pretty good, a solid conclusion. Or it's fake and perceived by the by the partner who wasn't on the show that they're planting Yeah, but that, I mean, I'm telling jealousy. you, at least a 50% divorce rate, crazy high divorce rate when people come back. There's a lot of cheating because everyone goes to these parties. But see, you have it different because you guys start out single. So you maybe didn't realize that that's a big... That's true. We start off single and then we get Most into a relationship. Them. Yeah. Most of them. <laughs> Yeah, that's yeah. true. Not all of them, which then, then it really fucks their life up. <laughs> all right. So all these really fucked up things about reality TV, that being said, would you go on Big Brother if you're asked right now for the trifecta? 100%, yeah. Totally. <laughs> okay. cool. Would yeah. you consider but that I would not go back on Survivor. So, okay. Interesting. So you would pick and choose the show then? Yeah. I mean, you trifecta, do the trifecta is a big deal. All right. I, I'm going to end this by saying you need to be, I think with your personality, your professional background and your fire. I mean, David, could you imagine we could just recap, but it could just be big brother recap show. Put it this way. <laughs> if I was in the big brother house, there's not many people that I would like take seriously as a threat. If you came walking down the door after talking to you for 40 minutes, I'd be like, Oh, this is going to be a tough one. <laughs> this is going to be a tough one. <laughs> My strategy with, with Corinne would be definitely be on her good side. And then the second I could backdoor, get her out of the house. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. To. Well, I mean, I got blindsided uh, on my second season, like super blindsided. I did not know it was happening. So yeah, that is a strategy. That is how you get me out. There you go. I love it. All right, David, any more questions before we get into the last two segments here? Yeah, just a wild one. When you're on Survivor and the food's awful, obviously it's very sparse. Were you a part of any of those challenges where like the team who wins, wins like an absolute feast? Yeah. Yeah. It was like a good story about that. So on day 19, my first season, we had had no food. So you win a bunch of stupid trash before that. You win like a tarp and pillows that, you know, get wet the first day and then no one can use. But day 19, we won a picnic, which had um, bottles of champagne and then like charcuterie and like gherkins and pate. And my favorite thing is, by the way, that like when they bring it out, I'm the only person that knew what anything was. Like, they're like, what do you think this is? This looks like bait. I'm like, it's pate. Like no one, like they were like tiny pickles. I'm like, those are gherkins. 
Anyways, I decide in that moment that um, I have two choices. Everything, so there's seven of us on the picnic, so everything has to be divided. Which they intentionally, they don't give you seven rolls, right? They give you five, and you have to figure out how to one-seventh everything. So you're one-seventhing everything, and I look at what's on the table, and I'm like, I'm going to be hungry tomorrow. I'd like to get drunk today. I will trade my one-seventh of food for each person's one-seventh of champagne. So I oh, ate nothing on my only opportunity to eat something. And took a champagne bottle to the face. Dehydrated yourself in a situation you have to be the most hydrated. Yeah. And you know what? I know the most disappointing part. I think CBS did some shit where it was a low alcohol. I didn't get even a little buzzed. I found the same thing, same thing on our show too. I couldn't get, I'm like, give it. There's one guy who didn't drink. I'm like, give me your drinks. I'll take them down. Mm -hmm. Still couldn't get it going. I don't know what it was. All right, that's good stuff. So let's get into We have two segments here. I mean, one of them is actually trading secrets. You have to give us a secret from the reality TV space that you can share with us that people may not know. I think you may have already disclosed all those. But while we're doing the first segment, keep the brain running on those. The first segment is biggest and best in your reality TV experience. So we'll get into the first one. And the first one is, what is the biggest and or best brand deal that you got off of any of the reality TV shows you were on? Oh, Oh, this is embarrassing. So I really, really don't get much. Um, <laughs> or uh, speaking or a showcase, anything like that. Yeah. So I started a podcast um, when actually it was a couple of years after Survivor with my good friend. And that podcast ended up being extremely lucrative. The problem is that I moved. We no longer could do it live. It was, it was really exploiting my life. It started out like 90% Survivor, 10% my life. By the end, it was 10% Survivor, 90% my life. We were reporting on all the people that went insane, like all the, you know, just all the Drama, myths yeah. happens in, in our survivor community, which there was no shortage of. Um, <laughs> like one guy I played with, like now has like his entire face covered in tattoos. Like we would touch on one guy went into porn. Like we would, all, we were all into that. Anyways, it was very, very lucrative. We had a lot of endorsement deals. We did live shows. We had um, merch. So in the height of that mm-hmm. podcast, I don't know if like this will seem like a lot to you, but it seemed like a lot to me. We were making probably like 50 a year. Yeah, um, and this was like, you know, one, one podcast episode a week. It was not a lot of work. Yeah, that's um, awesome. And you're doing so something that was my that best, I suppose. And then like, if I had continued, that was doubling like year over year. We did it for sure. about four years, but we did that with no, we did it with just Patreon. We really didn't use sponsors. Well, here's yeah. funny thing, Jason, since you brought yeah. this up earlier, yeah. I was like, because I curse like I do. And uh-huh. so I went after sponsors. Like I wanted, um, Fit Vine, which is a type of wine that's for people who work out. Sure. I went after uh, the Boochcraft Kombucha, which is alcohol. I went after all alcohol. Each company would listen to a sample of my podcast and be like, ew. <laughs> I was like, you literally stand for partying. You're an alcohol beverage company. And I was getting turned down. So I was like, you know what? Fuck it. We're not doing this anymore. We're not doing endorsements. We're just doing Patreon. Pay more, I'll give you more. And so that's what we did. And that's how we made all that money. Like everything so Patreon, was Patreon. Patreon is just a membership model, right? Yeah. Correct. And so, okay, gotcha. And you guys, do you still do the podcast? We do not. We stopped okay. it like two years ago. But after that, I did another podcast where I had a contract with an app and I got paid. I don't remember. It was like $150 per sure. episode. I had to do 30 minutes live on this app. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. The app was called TV Party. That was nice. Oh, yeah, I mean, I don't TV think Party. any of these are... Compa- if you had Elena on, that bitch could tell you. She does a lot better than I do. <laughs> no, but I mean, it's, it's interesting to just hear how kind of you navigate that world and like what it looks like. That's fascinating. All right. Now give me your biggest financial regret. Something that maybe you bought, a bad investment. Maybe if it's even a financial decision you made, like going on the show because you left work. What do you think your biggest financial regret is? I have to say it's hard for, I don't, so I, I literally do not have the emotion of regret other than like when I eat an Ambien and eat something in my fridge, <laughs> I shouldn't like, I, like the entire bottle of gummy vitamins that I did the other day. 
Um, but (laughs) I don't really regret things. I don't kind of live like that. So I will tell you one thing I did that was a poor investment, but Mm -hmm. like I'm making it work. I got drunk at the national Western livestock show and I bought an alpaca because I just kind of always wanted one. And those fuckers live for 20 years and I have to pay to board him now. And there's no getting rid of him. I tried to donate him to the zoo. They don't want him. So he has an Instagram and I'm trying to get him. He's got one (laughs) luggage deal. Alpaca your bags. Um, oh, oh my God. I, I have think you should private right label that. part of my branding. I think you should private label that. How much do you pay in alpaca boarding fees? It's not that much. It's just, it never ends. So it's $75 a month. It's not terrible. Okay. Consumer decision-making process. What the hell was going through your brain when you decided to purchase an alpaca? Yeah. Good question. So I was having a meltdown because I was turning 40 and I was like crying to my mom. And she's like, you know what, Corinne, why don't you look at it? Like you have money and you don't have anyone to answer to. Why don't you buy yourself a toy? Like buy yourself something insane that if you had a significant other, they'd be like, you can't do that. So I just decided that an alpaca was the thing I was going to get. And so I went to a last, I could have gotten an emu. Thank God I didn't get an emu. I thought he was so cute. And I was like, whatever, I'm just going to get him. But you don't think like long-term, like now I'm like. Yeah, like you could have got a dog or a cat. You're just like, I'll get an alpaca. But alpacas yeah, are but cute. I don't like dogs and cats really. Like I wanted something that someone else was going to board for me. But like, I am now bored of the alpaca. I don't, there's, I'm running out of things to dress him up in. He makes a great Christmas card, but otherwise he hates me. He runs the other side of the pen when I get there. There's no bonding whatsoever here. <laughs> How much did you pay for said alpaca? Yeah. So I didn't buy the breeding rights, you know, because I don't know what the fuck I'm doing with an alpaca. So he was like 700 bucks. That's not, I mean, well, 75 bucks a month for boarding, for for boarding, 700 bucks. How often do you see it? Are you good? Are you, uh, well, in the beginning, I saw him more. (laughs) Oh, how long have you had him for? Uh, I'm not getting off this topic, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) I have, I have 15 questions. Alpaca. All right. So you're. But in the beginning, I was like, I'm going to train him so that he can go on hikes with me. He can get in my SUV. And then I really quickly realized that like, I don't have the time for that shit. So now I just show up and yell at him and put him in clothing and put it on an Instagram. And can I spit at you? You know how some animals can spit at you? Yeah. He never learned how to spit sadly for him. So he has no defense. He just has to put up with it. (laughs) Would he though? If he could, you think? Yeah. Oh yeah. (laughs) If he could disembowel me, he would. He hates me. <laughs> I think you have no choice but to turn the alpaca into a business to opportunity. To jerky? Because I've threatened that. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a business opportunity. I think you start bringing him to kids' birthdays. Yeah. I think there's yeah. something here. We just so I wanted this. to bring him, like my favorite winery in town is Bigsby's Folly. And I wanted to bring him to the winery, like to have like a whole thing. But he gets, so the number one cause of death in alpacas is loneliness. They get very anxious if you take them away from their herd, their herd animals. So he starts hyperventilating like a queen. The second I get him away from the herd, so I run the risk that he's going to have a fucking heart attack at the winery if I bring him there without a friend and I'm not buying another one. So <laughs> That is definitely the best answer I think we've ever had. What do you think, David? An alpaca? No, that's... What's alpaca's name? Tupaca Shakur. <laughs> yeah, see, this this is an elite alpaca. Like, there's no way this better. alpaca is going to be allowed to just sit in boarding school all day. Like, yeah, yeah you're, you're in G, three man. grand on this. You'll definitely be able to recoup these costs if you get smart with this. <laughs> I think so. All right, last. That's incredible. Last portion of this is trading secrets. So the the name of the podcast is trading secrets, and the whole idea is from Wall Street to Main Street, Hollywood to our homes. What are some things within the world you live in with reality TV? You've been on three different seasons of shows through a network, potentially another show, which we're campaigning for. Um, what's something that maybe it's the contracts, maybe it's something you dealt with production, maybe the financial aspects. What is something that you could give us uh, as a trading secret for the world you live in? 
Hmm. Well, like it has to be business oriented or you just want a secret about the ins and outs of... <laughs> David, what do you think? Uh, secrets are secrets. All right. Okay. It is. So I think one of the, the things that I thought was interesting that I didn't understand... So again, I have a real elitist bitch mentality. And when I went on the show, I was like, I'll like, they would ask me to sit on like a log that was, there was ants everywhere. And I'm like, I spent all day avoiding ants. I'm not sitting on that log. And they'd be like, no, you have to, we set the entire shot up. And I'm like, sorry, what are you going to do? <laughs> edit me out of the show, which it turns out they can do. They couldn't with me because I was way too obnoxious to edit out, but they will do that when they get upset with you. And so I was very difficult. My first season, I was better my second season, not because I don't respect production, but because I was looking out for myself. Like I, you gave me SPF eight. Do not set me up with a reflector <laughs> in the ocean. Like I am alabaster skin combustion. Like, no, I'm not going to take that interview. And you, they, they would, they sort of were. So the people who are more cooperative get like a more confessional technically, I suppose, but it didn't sure. really happen to me. But one thing that did happen is one of the producers really did not like me my first season, mostly because I said no to things all the time. Like they kept, they can do this thing. I, this is my own opinion. They can strategically call you out for confessionals whenever they want. And if they do it, when people are strategizing or when people are eating, you end up with not enough food, right? So everyone's using like shells to eat rice from the bowl. And if you're not there and they're saving you your food and you only eat once a day, they're not going to save you the amount you would have gotten had you been there. So they pulled me out for confessionals three days in a row at the time when we were eating. And I was like, fuck you, enough of this. And so I had it out with this producer. And then she told Randy, who was my close friend on my first season, during his confessional, she's like, you should really tell Corinne, you know, to, to you should really try and get a handle on Corinne. She's making it difficult for everyone. And, and Randy goes, oh, is, is she being the bitch? Like the character you guys wanted? Sure. Like, like that's who she is. So you can't have it both ways. But so production actually cl- like came to him to try and reel me in, which he didn't do. It was part of your tag. I mean, manipulations in your job, your description here. So I'm just thinking of professional sales strategy. Was any part of your idea to say, okay, I'm going to identify that these producers do have the control for the outcome. I'm going to manipulate my way to not be like that, to do it. I should have totally, there's a huge mistake. I should have kissed their ass. Like I should have (laughs) asked about their stupid kids and been interested in their dumb fucking lives. I didn't do that at all. I was like, do not waste my time. Cut the small talk. What do you need from me? Like, I was horrible in my my first season. I was much better the second. And Amazing Race, like, I lived for those production people and I was very kind to them. And I still talk to them. But this my first season, incredible. they all hate me. This is incredible. And if you go on Big Brother, obviously that'll that strategy will change drastically. <laughs> that that I now know is a stupid move. Uh, Corinne, this has been such a pleasure learning about all the ins and outs of Survivor, Amazing Race, the money, the compensation, the the, the Patreon deals, the grind, and back to work. It's been uh, such a pleasure. Where can people find you, what you're working on, and, and learn more about you? Sure. So my handle on Twitter and Instagram is Core Insanity. So it's just C-O-R-I-N-S-A. N-I-T-Y. So the word insanity with C-O-R in front of it. And if you want to follow my alpaca, he is Tupaca underscore the underscore alpaca on Instagram. I am 100% following him, David. (laughs) You said. Yeah. Really great A content. I pretend like I'm speaking for him. I love it. Evan Evan on this call is also an agent. So Evan, you have a new goal (laughs) and the goal is to source a deal for her alpaca in the next 12 months. (laughs) I love it. Corinne, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate your transparency. Honestly, this was so much fun. It was so fun. And if I get on Big Brother, I'm giving you all the credit. Yes. We are putting it out there right here, right now. This is how I get on there. Try fucking Fecta. (laughs) 
Ding, ding, ding. Welcome back to the closing bell with the curious Canadian. I'll tell you what, there's nothing quite like the reality TV series we do here at Trading Secrets. All shows, all conversations from the followers, the money, losing your job when coming back from the show and so much more. That's why we got the one and only the voice of the viewer with us, David Arduin, I know you have a lot of thoughts on this episode, and not only this episode, but even how it relates to what we're seeing on Paradise right now. Where do you even want to start with Corinne Sanity? Well, I'm going to fast forward and skip the alpaca talk, even though, like I said, I could go on forever about it. I thought that was hilarious and fascinating. Also, checked out the IG on that alpaca. It's it's the cutest thing ever. But I I think what we need to uh, really discuss is, obviously, this is a business podcast. The business behind... Uh, reality TV. And like you said, I mean, we're seeing it in front of our eyes in paradise. Piper and Brandon, uh, Chris and the girl that I don't even remember her name, people with (laughs) preconceived notions going on TV. I got a question. Does anybody, does anybody go on TV anymore without business in mind? Reality TV? I mean, I don't know if you actually can, right? Because you heard about it when she was there. She's like, I didn't, there wasn't none of this shit. I was on MySpace for God's sakes. And she was just monetizing with like going to a couple bars here and there. But it is so exposed right now. At least I believe it's exposed. How much money you could be making from building this platform. So for anyone, I think to say that they're going on reality TV right now and they're is it, it's not crossing their mind that they could build a platform and therefore monetize or do something impactful. I'm calling bullshit. I'm calling bullshit. It's also so hypocritical. Like what's, what's hypocritical? Pe- it's hypocritical of the people that call those people out. Like, I guess it's like very blatant in terms of like, you know, people who clearly like screw the system a little bit to go on a, you know, what should be a dating show as a couple. But it's also like the people who call people out, like you just came on here for fame or business. Like, come on people. Yeah, we all I, did that. And here's the thing. I only saw a couple clips and I heard it was awful. Oh, I it texted was, you. Yeah. You told me like, you're like, how dumb are these people? The oh. first, without seeing the full clip of the whole Brandon and Piper thing, my initial reaction to it, because when you say the word hypocrite is one, they're, they're idiots. Two, like completely wrong in doing that. But also part of me was like, it reminded me of anybody out there like, you don't like your boss or like you don't like your company. Sometimes those are conversations you have with like your friends and family. You don't go tell your boss while you're still working for him. You hate him and you hate the company. And yeah, that's or, what it or, reminded me of. Or your coworkers or the assistant or the people in charge of everything that you do. It's absolutely diabolical. It was crazy. It was crazy. I wish you could quantify. And I feel like if anyone could, you like the risk reward of saying no to reality TV, as opposed to saying yes with, a twisted business aspect of trying to like, like I said, screw the system. Yeah. I mean, listen, I think the thing is, is that reality TV, people gravitate towards those people who actually go on it and are real. The people yes, that like come a grocery store, fake, like a grocery yeah. store, Joe is like perfect example, but I also like stay for the drama. Yeah, exactly. A hundred percent. But Joe, the guy he you're seeing as Joe right now is this same motherfucker in person. Like Mm -hmm. that's him. And that's what's so lovable about him is that he's a real human. He's not like intentionally stirring shit up or making ridiculous chirps and like getting the drama going. He's just like, this is who I am. And that's why like I continue to kill more Joe, more Joe, more Joe. Yes. And guess what? Those are the people that do well with building the platform. (laughs) So the key to success, if you're listening and you think you're smarter than the system, is just go on these shows and be yourself. 
just the only way yourself. it's ever going to, it's only going to last, only way it's going to last long-term. I'll never but forget thing, this David. I got, I say this is yeah. one of the producers said to me one time, you know, everyone gets worried. Oh, am I going to get edited? Da, 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 da. And here's such a good point. If you're an asshole, it's really easy to make you look like an asshole. Yeah. And if you're a nice, normal human, it's really easy to make you look like a nice, normal human. But it is very challenging for any editor to make a nice, normal human look like a complete asshole and a complete asshole to look like a nice, normal human. And the less work we have to do, the better. Well said. Now, one thing that stuck out was the talk of you guys that you talked about for the need of help when you get off these shows. I mean, whether you, whatever your intentions are, however much you're trying to play the system or how pure your reasons for going on these shows are, the need for counselors, guidance for not only your mental health or your PR for self-sabotage, but just in terms of monetizing the opportunity of coming off these shows, if you happen to kind of stumble into it, kind of like you did. Um, is that something that you've ever thought of in like mentorship for business opportunities? You know, it's it's interesting you say that because what I find it what happens is every like show or so often I'm talking to a few people that are reaching out with questions. And it's it's again, it goes back to relatability. It's always the guys that just come off as relatable that I mm -hmm. seem to or girls that I gravitate towards and watching that I'm like, yes, shoot away. I'll I'll answer anything and everything because people go on the shows to build the platform or at least some part of them, they build the platform, but then you have to monetize it. It doesn't just, not just hand it to you. And the problem is there are so many, there's not an industry in the world out there. Maybe there is, someone could prove me wrong in which there is such a different learning gap between the actual talent and the sharks. So the talent comes off and they don't know anything. Mm -hmm. The sharks have been in the industry for 20 years so they gobble up that learning curve and people just get taken to the cleaners by these people and nothing makes kind of my blood boil more than that. And if you're new to this podcast and just hearing Jason say that, go listen to episode two. The Joe Galliese episode explains everything that Jason's talking about in detail and it's so, so true. So one thing too that she talked about a lot is the, the money behind Survivor, obviously. I get those reality TV shows that are like once a year that have the prize money and the big prize pools. Here's a question for you, money related. Okay. Where does the money come from for shows like Jeopardy or Wheel of Fortune or Price is Right that are daily game shows that are spitting off 20K winners in cash, they're spitting off trips, they're spitting off cars. Like where does the money come from? Is it purely from ad revenue from commercials on the networks? Like what's your knowledge on that? I don't have much, but here's what I'm going to say is that if they'll like a, a show like, like Price is Right or Jeopardy, like Price is Right has been around since the nineties. And if you're, if you have the volume of being out every single day and you're getting that commercial ad revenue, I would think what happens is the network gets investors and for the original launch, they're fronting all the money for the prize pool. And then the advertisements from the commercials are of course, uh, paying for that. I also think for like the big prizes on like a, let's say a wheel of fortune where the odds are uh, very low of winning. I think they'll also buy insurances on that just in mm. case that if someone does win, they pay an insurance amount. And if they win, they're covered. Like example, you ever go to those golf tournaments, right? Where if a hole in one, yes. you could win 10 K cash in a BMW. Those are all insured. And you'll always know there's people on those holes watching. Yes. Those people usually work for the insurance company to make sure that if someone gets a hole in one, they saw it and they can account for it. That makes sense. Also, like I've heard that and confirmed that this is true. Like if people win a car on Price is Right, they actually 
99% of the time don't end up getting the car because you have to pay the taxes on that, right? 100%. So with prices, right, you have to pay those taxes right when you claim your reward. So if it's like, suppose it's, I don't know, 50, 60K, right? So you win the 60K cash. You actually can't get that 60K cash until you front the tax money for that. Let's wow. just assume you're at like a higher tax bracket, 30, 30, 40%. Mm. I mean, that's 20, 25 grand right there you're putting up. So it's like you that you win that trip to Aruba that's worth 7,000, but you got to pay 4,000 to go on it. So it's all of a sudden not a free trip through, but it's like, I could have gone on Expedia and find myself a cheaper one. All of a sudden, Aunt Susie's timeshare, which she only charged you (laughs) 2,200 for the week is a better deal. Uh, it's so funny. Oh, um, what else you got, man? What else? What you else do I got? That? Well, we're on the topic of uh, money and 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 influencing a brand deals coming off the show. I'm going to take it back to Jason Tell All a little bit, where you kind of gave us an insight to uh, to your financials and what you're doing and some projects that you're working on. Wanted to give the people at home a little update. How are we doing? We're almost done with 2021. I think we're entering Q4 here. How's the, uh, what are you working on? What's the business like? Almost done with 2021. It's going great. I mean, this was a big year. We launched the podcast. I got the book mm-hmm. coming out next uh, year. We're selling merch. We got mm-hmm. the business networking group. If you're interested in joining, restart at jasontardic.com. Shoot me an email, only nine bucks a month. Um, several businesses. We have the FinTech uh, trading app. We've invested in a few. It's been going great, man. Been doing some speaking stuff too. So, uh, so far, I'll tell you this, 2021 has definitely been my best year of all this Um of, of the monetization of kind of like, like the whole building the brand and um, the endorsements and the speaking and the investing stuff. Mm-hmm. And then also the businesses I own. So it's been, it's been the best year. And I'll add on to that is one thing I said on my social media the other day, and I'll stand by this is that anyone out there, like if you have, just to give you a benchmark, cause someone was asking me if people go on the show to build a platform and monetize. I'm like, you guys tell me what you think about that. Because if you have over 500,000 followers right now and a somewhat engaged audience and your followers are built from something that's like rated in the G to even R, it's not like the XX stuff, you, you should easily, and even if it's the XX stuff, I'm sure this answer is the same, easily, 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 I'll say it over a minimum 250K of revenue from that social channel right? That's just, that's it. You get entrepreneurial, yeah. start your own businesses. It can go up from there. And if you're not making 250K and you have over 500,000 followers, give me a call because you're not doing something right. Or you have a manager that's screwing you over. See, this is why I said the mentorship thing. It's real. So. <laughs> we gotta, maybe that'll be the 2022 business. And that's why Joe Galli, as they said, 89% of youth want to be an influencer for those reasons right there. So, all right, let's wrap this up really quick. We had a Survivor episode. Everyone on Survivor gets to bring one thing on Survivor with them. What do you bring in if you go to the island? Phone. Oh, I don't know if you could bring a phone. If, But you said if I could bring anything. Okay, fair. What would you bring? I mean, I don't know. Probably like a... If you couldn't bring technology, what would you bring? If I'm trying to like be smart, probably a lighter. I think a lighter or I'm such a, like, I don't know about you. I get crushed by mosquitoes. I would just, I might just bring bug repellent because I couldn't deal. If that would self-eliminate if I have like 18,000 bug bites everywhere, which speaking of which, this was about the survivor. You heard the behind the scenes with all the money stuff and survivor actually premieres on September 22nd. So we're right around the corner. And then we talked about big brother, a show you and I, I know would love to be on anybody out there. Get us on big brother, David and Jason. That premieres September 29th. So if we're going to talk about the shows, what the live in hell, let's promote them. David, 
Anything else before we wrap up? I believe you have a couple shout outs. Couple shout outs. Let's give a couple shout outs. You guys are giving us five stars and we are seeing you all over our reviews doing that. If you could please continue to give us five stars, put on your Instagram name or your name. We'll shout you out and we'll be reaching out to you. I see Nicole Murphy telling us that we're inspiring. David, David, you got a couple uh, compliments in here from Jackie Burr. She came in hot. We're doing the five stars almost at the 3000 review mark. So if you guys could help us get there, I see at spicy underscore bunny. That's a good one. We loving them. We're listening to them. We're seeing them. Let me see if I, oh, Steph Cauldron came in, gave it. This podcast is incredible as a small business owner and someone who has recently had an interest in investing in all things finances. I've listened to a lot of podcasts that speak about money. Trading secrets is by far the most interesting, engaging, and easy to understand. Steph Cauldron, thank you so much for that feedback, guys. We appreciate it. Things are going great. We are honestly, we're having so much fun with this. And if you have guests or people or industries you want us to cover, you let us know the voice of the viewer. Anything else before I close this out? I'm still working. I'm still working to find my crypto. So, oh, we're grinding. You haven't found it yet? Well, there's light at the end of the tunnel. I found some of it, but I'm missing 20 ETH. So you do the math. 20 ETH. That's like 70. You're you're missing 70 grand. You do the math. We found we found half a Bitcoin. We found six ETH, but the kids missing 20 ETH. If you know where they are, contact me. Hit me up. They're just lost in translation right now. Update. I forgot we even (laughs) talked about it, but the update we needed 20 ETH. That could be a whole podcast. We'll touch base on that next week. Where the fuck yes. are those 20 Ethereum that are going at roughly 3,500 a pop right now? Hopefully you guys enjoyed this episode. It was another reality TV series, one that you could not afford to miss. Thank you for tuning in and we will see you next Monday on another episode of Trading Secrets. I said it once, I said it twice. I'll say it one more time. An episode we work to create, hopefully one that you can't afford to miss.